Uh, so we're here we are in our second and final instalment of our mini-series, uh, The Return. We're looking at the prodigal son, aren't we? Or the lost son, as many of you might know it. If you've missed the next, last week, then don't fear. You can catch up uh, on YouTube, on the app, on the website, on Facebook. And I think that's everywhere where you can pretty much catch up on it. But I definitely recommend that you do. Uh, the parable of the prodigal son really brings home God's plan of salvation. It's an insight into the condition of the human heart, isn't it? You know, our tendency to stray, our rebellion, um, how we can be self-righteous, how we can judge others, all summed up beautifully in the two sons. And what a picture of a beautiful, wonderful father who's loving, compassionate, full of mercy and forgiveness. It's just absolutely stunning. I was saying to Mark, it's a shame that this is a mini-series. It's a tiny little parable, but there's just so much depth to it. So if you want to study a little bit more, maybe over the Advent season, a couple of books that I have kind of helped me as I was forming my talk for today was The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nowen and The Prodigal Cod by Tim Keller. I have a real affinity with the younger brother, I'm not going to lie. That kind of rebellious streak, he kind of goes off the rails. He literally ends up in pig's mess. Um, and the father comes running to him, doesn't he? Full of forgiveness. When the son goes, I'm sorry, the father comes running. And it always really reminded me of my own journey with God. You know, I'd fallen so far away. I was in such a mess. I was a mess. My life was a mess. And I turned to him, repenting. And did he punish me? He could have, if I'm honest, but he didn't. He came running and welcoming me, even when I was a mess. Not before I'd got it all together and I had it all right. I, I really didn't. I was very different to how I am now. And my mum can testify that. I think she's online. But I was. And I'm not proud of that. But it is a testament to how God has worked in my life. But as time has gone on and I've looked a bit deeper, God is oh so gently, just the way he does, been revealing to me and showing to me how much like the eldest son I am. And if I'm honest, that really, really troubled me. I didn't like that so much. Not at all. So let's dive in, open our Bibles. Uh, I want us to turn to Luke chapter 15. And we're actually going to start at verse 1. And it's the parable of the lost sheep. Now, don't laugh. Uh, Yvonne is smiling at me. Anyone that knows me and Mark is worried now. <laughs> I love sheep. Okay, don't judge me. Uh, little unknown fact you might not know about me. Did a small holding course a couple of years ago and I fell in love with sheep and God really speaks to me through sheep. I love them. And if I had my way, I'd be speaking on the parable of the lost sheep. But I didn't get to choose. So I'm bringing it in anyway. So here we are. No offence, Mark. Let's start at verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, I wanted to start here because it really sets the scene for who Jesus is speaking to. And the context is so important for the parable that we're going to be reading today. So in the text, it says that Jesus was surrounded by who? Teachers of the law, sinners, tax collectors. Okay. Now let's skip to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. You with me? It should come up on the screen as well. So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Mind boggles, doesn't it? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. You know, that would have been so controversial, wouldn't it, that he was having to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, he must have been starving. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here am I, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he went and got, got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, my gosh, I could never say that to my mom or my dad. I would never have dared. Look, you, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave, gave me even a young goat. Never. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, said the father. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So powerful, isn't it? So Mark last week spoke on the younger brother. He laid out four key, uh, five sorry, key points for us to ponder. Mark likes five, I like three, just saying. Number one, question question of freedom outside of the father's house. Number two, presence versus presence. Number three, nothing can compare to you. <laughs> Anyone else do that last week? Just me? Okay. Number four, mercy whispers return. Number five, the return of repentance. This week, we're going to be focusing on the elder son, the elder brother. We read that the elder brother is working in the fields, he's working hard, he's obedient. He's serving the father well, isn't he? You know, he stayed home with his father. He's earned his inheritance, right? Anyway, there he is working hard and he hears a commotion, like a party going on. And he's like, what is going on? Like, I didn't know any parties going on. So we asked one of the servants, what's happening? And the servants say, well, your, your brother's come back. This is amazing. Your brother's back. We're having a party. But what does it say in verse 28? It says that the elder brother is angry. 
He complains about the acceptance of the younger son. It just isn't fair. Who does that remind you of? It's the Pharisees, isn't it? They too complained about Jesus' acceptance of the sinners and the tax collectors. The son is angry because the normal world's rules of life have been broken. The hardworking, well-behaved deserve more than the ones who rebel, who are lost and who are messy and don't get it right. He believes that the ones that are faithful deserve the reward. But the father's actions are so subversive to the world's view of right and wrong, good and bad, reward and punishment. We read also in verse 28 that the elder son refuses to go in. You know, this would have caused the father further embarrassment. It would have been culturally expected that the elder son in this time in the ancient Near East would have been there with his father, hosting the party, welcoming the guests, pouring the best wine. That would have been his role. And for him not to be there and to refusing to come in would have been really disgraceful and really embarrassing for the father. And what does the father do? You know, the father seeks him out and goes out to see him. Would I do that? No, no chance. No, I wouldn't if I'm honest. I'd be like, do you know what? Fine, you'd be like that. You go out there, you sulk. You need to grow up. He can stay out there and he just won't get any of this calf or this nice wine. That's fine. But no, the father re-emphasizes his sonship and invites him in. Stunning. In verse 29, the son has an outburst about he's always served the father. Look. Gosh. Seriously, I would never have dared. Never left him, never neglected a command. He's completely blind to his sin. His self-righteousness has cut him off from the father, but also others as well. The father speaks tenderly to the elder son. You know, his inheritance is still intact. He's not actually lost out on anything. He's not missing out. And the father explains why the return of the younger son is to be celebrated. But the elder son's heart is still hard. He's lost in pride, self-righteousness, judgment. But, you know, Jesus is highlighting here that it just wasn't a nice thing to do for the father to celebrate the son, but rather it was a divine necessity. He's modeling, giving us like a little foresight of what is to come, the celebration that God has when we return to him. But also Jesus is modeling how we should celebrate those that have been lost and come running back to him. You know, that's part of what we should be doing too. Scholar Robert Miller suggests that there is a sense in which the elder son is a good boy, yet with a hardened heart. Even when the prodigal returns, the elder son is not home yet. He is still lost. I often used to think, well, how come this isn't called the prodigal of the lost sons? Plural or the lost sons. And then I was pondering it a little bit more this week. I was like, oh, no, maybe Jesus was actually meaning the eldest son, and we've always just presumed it was the younger. The lost son he is talking about is actually the elder. Through this small but mighty parable, Jesus is challenging our views on the kingdom. He is outlining just how subversive it is. So there's three points I want us to look at and share what I believe Jesus is doing here. So number one, Jesus is redefining God and his love. Number two, Jesus is redefining sin and what we believe that is. And number three, Jesus is redefining salvation. Number one, Jesus redefines God and his love. 
You know, God had many names in the Old Testament, but it was really rare to call God Father. And yet, Jesus nearly always calls God Father. And he teaches us to call him God Father too, doesn't he? Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus is modeling our relationship, what it should be with God. Jesus is also wanting to subvert our preconceptions and experiences and redefine God. You know, we can have experiences of fathers that aren't positive. It might be too hard for you to perceive God as father. Many of us might not have had a positive father role model, and some might not have even had fathers in their lives at all. And that must be so hard, so hard. And I believe that God wants to meet with you here in this place today. We're going to have a time of ministry afterwards. We all have a chance to respond. And if that's you, I would encourage you to come forward. You know, I must say as well that I have found the Restore course that we run absolutely transformational in my walk with God and understanding God as a father. So I just want to highlight that as well. You know, Jesus shows us a father, as Mark showed last week, who is compassionate, loving, forgiving, generous. You know, his treasures never run out, do they? The father in this parable demonstrates how God lavishes his love, even though we don't deserve it. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is who we are. You know, that is the truth. It's the truth because it's what God says in his word. We are children of God. In the ancient Near East, the idea of a father hoisting up his robe and running in public would have been so shocking. It would have been absolutely disgraceful, in fact. But as we saw last week, this is how the father greets the younger son, isn't it? He hoists up his robes and he goes running. Just as the son faced humiliation by returning and having to walk through the village um, starving, he must have looked so scruffy and thin. And we read, don't we, that he didn't have shoes on his feet. Well, this was a sign of being a slave if you didn't wear shoes. You know, how humiliating an aristocrat returning looking like that. But what does the father do? He runs out quite, from quite a far distance. He doesn't wait for the sun peeking through the curtains going, oh my gosh, I'm so pleased that he's home, but I'm going to wait until he gets near, at the porch. No, he goes running. The father enters into his pain, humiliation, and shame and acts in compassion and love to greet the, the son. Many commentators have said that the father doesn't act like an ancient Near East father would have, but rather takes on the maternal nature of a mother. Jesus is portraying God's tenderness and maternal nature towards us. Number two, Jesus redefines sin. It's easy to look at the brothers, isn't it, and go, oh yeah, that, the younger one? Yeah, that, that's the sinner, that's sin. You know, one is seemingly very, very good, the elder brother, and one is seemingly very bad, the younger you know, he's, he's rebellious, he's greedy, he squanders his money. He's a bit of a nightmare. He's a bit of a mess. And we think, yeah, that's sin. But Jesus is highlighting that both brothers are sinful. Both are using the father for what they can get. Wealth, status, reward. As Mark put it last week, they're rather in, more interested in presence from the father rather than presence with the father. It's quite a big difference, isn't it? The elder brother is lost in his sin. He almost seems unaware. 
you know, by outward appearances, he's been good. You know, he's been working the fields, he's been obedient to the father. But in his heart, he carries resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. He's been good for all the wrong reasons. It's not done out of love, but rather because he wants something in return. Can't we so easily slip into that? Where we're doing good for all the wrong reasons. Number three, Jesus redefines salvation. By our worldly understanding, the good should be rewarded and the bad punished. That's fair, right? It seems unfair and crazy to reward a prodigal. But the plan of the father is not a plan of fairness. Well, not of the world's standards of fairness anyway. It's a plan of mercy. The father loves us in ways that we just can't understand or comprehend. I love the words that God speaks over Jesus as he starts his ministry, not after. He says, this is my son whom I love. In him, I am well pleased. What a powerful reminder that God's love becomes before. It is never subjective to what we accomplish or achieve. You know, as Mark reminded us last week, it is by grace that we are saved, not by works. It can't be earned. And our salvation, true salvation, cannot be lost. So what do we see in this parable? Firstly, we see that both sons, the father seeks them out. He goes after both of them. In verse 20, the father goes running out to the younger son, as we've just explored. And in verse 28, we see again that the father leaves the party to go out to the elder son, doesn't he? Even though he was having his tantrum and I would have left him there. He doesn't. He goes out and he draws it in. You know, it's God who seeks us first. I remember, I can look back in my life, um, I was probably around 19 or 20. Um, I'd been through a lot of trauma, a lot of things had happened, all in the space of yeah, a very, very short amount of time. And I just hit rock bottom. I couldn't deal with it. I suffered with crippling depression. Uh, but I was really searching for answers. And I'd started going to a Buddhist centre. I was just really searching. Didn't know what I was looking for. And this one time I went, I went and ate a shared meal. And I thought, well, instead of going off walking like I normally did in the grounds, I'm going to go in the temple. I haven't got a clue what I was doing. Like, I didn't have a clue. No one else was in there. And I thought, right, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to meditate. I don't know how to meditate. So I sat down and I was like, hmm. I grew up in a convent school. And I can remember this missionary nun coming, visiting us from Africa. And she taught us some relaxation techniques and some meditation. And I thought okay, I'm going to give that a try, see, see what happens. Um, and I sat down and I closed my eyes and I started breathing. And I can remember sort of picturing this beautiful place. It was like this forest, there was this river going down. And I was like, oh, this is blissful. And I'm closing my eyes and I'm soaking it all in. And then I became aware of a man next to me. And I became really aware that this was Jesus. And what did I do? <laughs> I opened my eyes. I stood up and I went, that flipping school brainwashed me. I don't want anything to do with that. And I walked out. I'm ashamed to say that that was my reaction at that time. But I believe that that was God seeking me. And I closed the door. It wasn't until years later where, again, I'd end up in pig's mess, shall we say, come to the end of myself. And I remembered that experience. And I was like, God, if that was you... I want you. I need you. And Jesus met with me. 
You know, it was just so powerful. God seeks us, but it is always our choice whether we accept him or not. You know, we need God. We need the love of the Father. But in my journey with the Lord, I realized I didn't know how to receive his love. I found it really hard. I knew I loved him. I loved him with all my heart because of the transformation I've seen. Like I knew he loved me. I've got so many testimonies of my life in those periods. I didn't know how to receive it. It felt alien to me. I was like, oh my gosh, what even is love? You know, I kind of went on this whole great big journey. A few of you have walked that path with me and will know how hard I found it. And when I started learning how to receive it, I realized that my heart was like a sieve, like I couldn't retain it. I had so many past wounds and hurts. The love was coming in. It was just kind of leaking out all over the place and I was a bit of a mess. I had to go on a big journey of healing and healing past wounds. But as the wounds started healing up, I could receive more of him. And if you're in that place, then you're going to have a chance for prayer after the service. It can be really hard when you haven't had a positive experience of love to know how to receive it from the Father. But this is why it's so important that we're in connect groups, where we can do with life with God and one another, safe places, you know. But we also need to be faced with older brothers and younger brothers because there's nothing like community to kind of sometimes grate on you, but grow you. It's all good. You know, there are no quick fixes. There are no one size fits all. I'd love to say to you, do you know what? This is how I got healed. If you just do this, this is going to be it. It's not. I did a lot of my left, your right. Even when I didn't have uh, words, there would be me going, I need prayer. (laughs) A lot of prayer. Prayer on my own, prayer with others, meeting up individually with them. I don't know what I would have done without my mentor and spiritual director, someone that just constantly points me to Jesus, has helped me learn how to hear his voice for myself and to hear how he's speaking through the scriptures to me. As I've said before, the Restore course was amazing. And also something called Faith Walking, uh, where I continue my spiritual formation. You can Google it, it will come up, and I'm part of Connect Group with them. Secondly, we need to understand sin and repentance. We need to have a better understanding about what sin is and how it separates us from God the Father. I love how Timothy Keller puts this. He says, we need to learn how to repent for something besides sin. Sin. By this, he kind of means like the outward appearances of the younger brother. When we are in true relationship with God the Father. Sorry. When we're in true relationship with God the Father, then we should be aware of the reasons we do right. I'm going to say that again because I had a complete little slip. When we are in true relationship with God the Father, then we should be aware of the reasons we do right. It's hard hitting, isn't it? That's a bit like, oh, ouch. You know, the elder brother was so far from relationship with the Father, he slipped into moral conformity. We need to, like the psalmist do, reach out to God and say, God, would you search our hearts? Would you bring anything that I need to deal with to to the surface? You know, what are our own motivations for doing right? I wonder what is God wanting us personally to learn through this parable? What is stirring in you? Are you more like the younger brother? 
Maybe you have strayed and God is seeking you out and calling you back to his loving arms. Maybe you've never known the Father's love, but you want to know more. You kind of feel that little niggle that you're searching and you want to know more about him. Or are you realizing just how much like the elder brother you are? That's okay. You know, God is compassionate and loving. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Are there people you find hard to forgive? Do you think others are more undeserving than you of God's love and compassion? Or maybe you're stuck in outwards appearances of being good, of self-righteousness, more concerned with what others think of you rather than what's going on inside of you. You know, each of us at one time or the other can be all three characters, all three roles, but we can't fast-track the process. You know, we need to learn how to be sons and daughters before we can become like the Father. We need to be willing to open our hearts to God, the Father who comes running to us, seeking us out to let him know us and love us. The harder question here is not, how do I love God more? But rather, how do I allow myself to be loved by God more? Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, states that my final vocation is indeed to become like the Father and to live out his divine compassion in my daily life. Though I am both younger and elder son, I am not to remain them, but to become the Father. No father or mother has ever become father or mother without first being son or daughter. But every son and daughter must consciously step beyond their childhood and become fathers and mothers for others. He finishes by saying that becoming like the heavenly father is not just one important aspect of Jesus' teaching. It is the very heart of his message. Spiritual fatherhood has nothing to do with power or control. It is a fatherhood of compassion. And I have to keep looking at the prodigal son to catch a glimpse of this. Do you know, every time I have read that, and I've read it quite a few times, it chokes me every time. I just find that so moving. God is a loving, loving Father, just awaiting our return. There is no end to his capacity to reach out, to restore, and to reinstate our sonship. We're not to be fathers or gods of our own lives, but we, by his Spirit, are to be transformed into his likeness. That is our inward journey, to love like him, to show compassion like him, and to forgive like him. We can't do that on our own. It has to come out of a place of being with the Father. So how does the parable end? Well, we don't really find out, do we? It kind of, if I'm honest, irritates me that it finishes so abruptly, and I'm like, what? What is that? Jesus is very clever. He's asking us a question. How does your story end? Are you going to return to the Father repentant? Or are you going to stay outside? Like I did the first time. I am not ready to come in. It's up to you. It's your choice. 